The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And we come now to a time of opening the scriptures together. All of us, the church family, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 126. As you follow along in the the reading and preaching of the Word of God this morning, I want you to be encouraged to open whatever Bible that you have, whether a hard copy or the Bible on your phone or on your tablet, uh, whatever means that you have of getting God's Word near to you, let's open together to Psalm 126. Uh, we come to this psalm of a psalm of ascents as we've been in during this time of quarantine, and we've been following through these uh, many psalms, going from Psalm 120 to 134 is this group of psalms of ascents, and they reflect a desire for the people of God to go and worship the Lord at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And these psalms are sung from various perspectives, both in time and various perspectives from an emotional capacity as well. And that's helpful for us to remember because as we think about the book of Psalms in general, isn't it helpful that the Lord put the book of Psalms right in the middle of our Bible as if to make it most accessible to us? And I hope that you will find as a growing Christian, or perhaps someone who is investigating the claims of Christianity, how dear and lovely the book of Psalms really is to us in the church. The book of Psalms is so special to us because it covers the full spectrum of human emotions. When you're sad, when you're joyful, when you're needful, when you're full of grief, when you're full of anger, Whatever emotion that you have, whether it's one or a complexity of mixed emotions in your hearts, the book of Psalms gives words to the emotions of our hearts and enables us to use these Psalms like prayers to pray God's word back to him and express the longings of our hearts. And what we find together as we come to Psalm 126 is that life happens between tears of sorrows and between tears of joy. The spectrum of sorrow and joy has really all of life's experiences filled in between them, and both sorrows and joys involve tears. Uh, Whether you are someone who is prone to cry happy tears, as we call them, or whether the only tears you know are tears of sorrow, uh, we express ourselves in tears. Now, The Lord gives us some understanding of that emotion this morning as we find both joy and sorrow, sorrow and joy, mingled together in Psalm 126 and given expression to our hearts this morning. So if you've got God's word available to you, let's look to Psalm 126 as I first pray and then we will hear God's word together. Oh Lord God, we come now to turn to your word How thankful we are that you give us the scriptures to be a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Father, in this world we hear so many thoughts and so many opinions of humans. The news cycle is constant. There's a commentator for every thought. Lord, how exhausted we often find ourselves. But we come now to a time of quieting ourselves that we might hear you speak to us. And so, Lord God, as you moved this human author to record Psalm 126 for us, we pray that by the same Holy Spirit that so inspired this author, 
the Spirit of God might rest upon our minds today, illuminating our minds to give us understanding, illuminating our hearts to help us to rest in the peace of Christ. And so, Lord, speak to us now, for your servants are ready to hear. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And now hear the word of God from Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. This is the word of God. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever and ever. And so may he write its eternal truth upon our hearts today, and especially here in Psalm 126 as we consider it this morning. I want you to notice in Psalm 126 that it really happens in two parts. Do you see that there's something of a divide that happens between verses 3 and verse 4? In the first part, verses 1 to 3, the psalmist is remembering past deliverances. And then in verses 4 to 6, the psalmist is longing for present deliverances. In verses 1 to 3, the psalmist is thinking, those were the days as he remembers those things which seem to be far off, remembering those joyful days. And again, the second half in verses 4 to 6 is like longing for those days to return again. So there's this split that happens of the memory and the present need. And what we'll see is that uh, the psalm is written in a particular time period. It has a particular moment in mind, but this experience of remembering past deliverances and looking for a present deliverance is so regular for the people of God in the scriptures. It happens all throughout that we can really apply this psalm to our present day because it applies just as much to us as well. The memory of a past deliverance and the desire for another deliverance in our present time as well. So this is a memory that turns into a prayer. And when we find ourselves remembering, the encouragement to us is to not just be nostalgic, not just to remember, but to allow the memory of God's faithfulness to lead us to prayer, to trust him again. Because for every remembrance of God's faithfulness in the past, we must be led to an embrace of God's faithfulness in the present, especially when things are difficult. That's what Psalm 126 is saying, that God was faithful then. Trust him to be faithful to you again today. That's what Psalm 126 is saying. So first of all, let's see the memory of God's deliverance in the past in verses 1 to 3 the memory of God's deliverance in the past 
The historical background for this psalm is during the time period in the Old Testament where we find the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, where the people of God had been in captivity in a place called Babylon, and they were set free from Babylon to go back to Jerusalem and back to their homeland to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple that had been torn down. Because the history of the people of God is a history of moving towards Jerusalem, but there came to be a period of exile where they were cast out and sent to Babylon. This remembers the time when they came back from Babylon to go back to Jerusalem, probably about the year 586, and the Jewish people had been away from their homeland for about 70 years, and they are finally allowed to return to the land that God had given them. And when they're allowed to return, look at their emotions. Look at it in verse 1. When it happened, it says, we were like those who dream. We couldn't believe our eyes, the things that we were seeing again. Consider the fact that they had been gone 70 years and most of the captives that had gone to Babylon had never even seen this land before that they had heard their family talk about. Their families were present in Canaan and then when the exile came, they went off to Babylon and children were born to the Israelites in Babylon that had never been to the promised land, but they heard their parents talk about it. They heard their grandparents tell stories of its beauty and some had only heard the stories, but there were others who by this time had grown very old people who are now into their 90s perhaps, people maybe like Daniel who were taken captive as a teenager and returned only as a much older man, cannot believing the fact that finally he's been returned to his own homeland. It's like a dream, verse 1 says. They were remembering the sights of the promised land, the, the plains of Palestine and the hills of Zion that surrounds the city of Jerusalem. They were remembering the, the Negev down south. They were imagining the beauty of being returned to that place that they've longed for. Maybe you know what it's like to have in your memory a place that is so dear to you and it's been forever since you've been back. That sense of welling up of the beauty of that place and the memories that are associated with it. If you can read Psalm 126 with that mentality, then you know how they were feeling when they expressed these things. That place that you long since thought you would never see again, and there it is. God's brought you back. He's brought you back to that place. And imagine the joy that comes with that. You see it in verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. The psalmist is remembering the joy of God's deliverance in the past, remembering the goodness and the faithfulness of God to bring them back to the place that they so long to go. And I wonder, do you know joy like that? Or in the spirit of Psalm 126, have you known joy like that, but now have been led to a place when you feel like that joy is just a distant memory, like it's long ago. The psalmist is in that place. And when we're led to that place, I want us to see something very important to notice, that the psalmist is being directed not just to the nostalgia of a place, not just to the memory of special times, but his thoughts and his prayer and really truly his worship is directed to the Lord God. 
And this is what I want us to see, that this is simply what God does because this is who he is. He's a deliverer. He's a redeemer. He's one who brings his people out of captivity. He's a God who restores joy and restores laughter. The God who redeems and delivers and restores is the story of really all the Bible, isn't it? Whether you can think about the book of Genesis as the people of God captive to sin in the garden as represented by just two people, Adam and Eve. Or think about the captivity of the people of God in the book of Exodus as slaves being delivered out of Egypt in the Exodus. Or think about the people of God captive to the strength of the armies of the Philistines during the time period of 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. Or think about the people of God here at this time during the exile period captive to foreign occupation and dispersion in Babylon. And the history of the people of God is a history of the people in captivity under bondage That the Lord God delivers and redeems and restores their joy. Because God is a redeemer. And the temptation sometimes, when we find ourselves in captivity, is to think about history simply as just the story of humanity. To think about the Exodus story of Israel in Egypt. And to think of Pharaoh as the main power player, or King Darius in the time of the exile, or King Nebuchadnezzar, or consider just the acts of men like Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah, when really the psalm is inviting us into this perspective of seeing history from the higher plane, of considering your life from a higher elevation, of considering the history of the people of God from God's providence. This psalm is giving us some perspective and a principle that we need to interpret life and interpret history, to interpret it according to the providences of God that we find ourselves in. That God is the one that our thoughts should go to. Do you see in verse 2? The Lord has done great things for them. Indeed, verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done it. It is his doing is the emphasis here. The deliverance is God's own deliverance. Don't you love the fact of the way it's said at the end of verse 2 that even the other nations say this about Israel's God? Verse 2 is using the words of these foreign nations that are looking at the story of the people of God and saying, wow. The Lord has done great things for them. Who's the them? The them is us, the people of God. God does such wonderful things that even unbelieving nations and unbelieving people look upon the people of God and marvel. And when they do, if the nations, unbelieving nations, if they should see God and recognize it, so should the people of God. As you see the response in verse 3, yes, indeed, The Lord has done great things for us. And isn't it a lesson that we need to remember about life and history, about our days and our seasons, to view this particular period of life that we're in now, the stage on which our life is set, to see our history and the unfolding of time as God's story, as the work of the Almighty God, the sovereign God of providence and kindness whose purposes he is working out according to his divine plan friends don't lose sight of that in these days don't lose sight 
of the providence of an almighty God who orders all things according to his divine decree. Do you view your life this way, as ordered and fixed by the kindness of a sovereign God, the God who is working out his purposes, even when, and perhaps especially when, you find yourself in a place where you don't want to be, when you find yourself in captivity as the people of God experienced here. Because every instance of our sorrow and every instance of our fear and every instance of our pain is an opportunity for God to prove his faithfulness. And people of God, he does prove it. The story of the Bible is the evidence of his faithfulness. And we have it here for us that we might cling to it and believe that he is working out his purposes in our life now. And we need to believe this when we find ourselves in places of struggle and in captivity and in need of deliverance to remember this truth because maybe you're feeling like a captive right now. You're captive to your home. You feel like you can't go anywhere in this quarantine period. Maybe you're captive to a job that you don't particularly like. Maybe you're captive to a family situation that pains you or a rift between loved ones that's, that's gone on for far too long, captive to feelings of guilt and shame. Every instance of our captivity is an opportunity for God to show the strength of his deliverance, and we long for that deliverance. And we want to know the joy that the psalmist is speaking about because, as we said, the first half of this psalm is the psalmist remembering the past deliverance because he is in a present need, just like we are. We long for the deliverance and we want to know the joy that the psalmist is speaking of. So we have seen the evidence of God's faithfulness. We've seen the memory of God's deliverance. Now we want to see that we are called to hope again for deliverance. And people of God, the point here is that as we hope for that deliverance, our hope is not in vain. And you see it here with a prayer and a promise and two very clear pictures there's a prayer and a promise, both with a very clear picture. First of all, notice, notice the prayer. The prayer in verse 4. Restore, restore our fortunes, O Lord. Restore us. It's mindful of the present captivity, present trials. Whatever the situation is, the prayer is, Lord, restore us. Restore me. I'm where I don't want to be, and I'm in circumstances that I don't want. Restore me. And the picture here with the prayer for restoration is a desire to be restored. You see again at the end of verse 4, like streams in the Negev. The picture here is the streams of the Negev. Now the Negev is the southern portion of Palestine that extends south of Jerusalem all the way down to Beersheba. And it consists of land that is very desert-like. It's arid and barren and Creek beds dry up and form huge cracks in the ground that are like gutters in the earth because everything is dried up. And for many, many seasons, there is no green growth and everything is dry. And the psalmist here is picturing himself and he is thinking, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at emotionally. That's where I'm at spiritually. This is where I am. I am in the Negev in the summertime. It's dry as a bone. There's not a green branch in sight. There's no grass. There's no flowers. There's no sign of life. Lord, restore me. But the beautiful thing about the Negev is that when the rainy season comes to the northern region, 
where there's hills and mountains, that water flows down from the hills and mountains and then comes to the Negev region. And the Negev, where it's so dry all the time, actually gets overwhelmed with water when the rains come from the north. And actually, the creek beds don't just fill up, they flood. The Negev is known for its flash flooding. And so the psalmist is praying for, if you like, a flash flood of deliverance. Bring it now and bring it in its fullness and do it quickly. Right? And sometimes God's deliverance does come quickly. Sometimes he acts like a flash flood and, and we are restored. And just like that, the things that we long for happen. But what about when it doesn't? What about when God's deliverance doesn't come like a flash flood? What about when it sometimes feels like it's coming like a trickle, or even if anything at all? Well, then you have this other picture and a promise in verses 5 to 6 that those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Look at verse 6, that he who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Now again, the picture from verse 4 was drastic and quick and immediate, but this picture here in verses 5 and 6, not so much, is it? This agricultural picture shows us the faith of waiting. The ground needs to be prepared. The seed needs to be planted. It needs to be tended. But even so, so much of the time of waiting for the harvest is left to things that are entirely outside of our control, aren't they? Too little rain, too much rain, no rain at the right time and too much rain at the wrong time. And the picture here is of working and waiting and praying and trusting and then waiting some more and trusting some more and steadily pressing on. Do you see that picture? But not just with an agricultural picture, but there's this other emotional capacity that is fixed onto this picture, isn't it? But here, the sowing is done in tears, and the reaping is filled with joy. And isn't that such a graphic picture of what life is like in this fallen world? As we wait for the promises of God to manifest themselves in their fullness, when your faith feels like it's hanging on, like a rubber band that's stretched too thin, it's starting to crack perhaps, and we feel this weight of waiting, and you have this promise, the psalmist is saying, lay hold of this promise. And what a promise it is. What an incredible thing God is saying to us, that though you sow in tears and in pain and in grief, you will reap a harvest of joy you will reap a harvest of gladness. And we know what it's like to feel that weight of receiving the, the news of bereavement for our loved ones and bad diagnoses and troubling circumstances. We know what it's like to sow in tears and press on and struggle. And here you have this promise that it's not in vain, that it is not in vain. And this is what we should appreciate because we're living in the 21st century. And this psalm is written 500 years before Jesus even walked the earth. 
The believer that writes this psalm here is looking back on the deliverances of God in the Old Testament, maybe keeping in mind the garden and Egypt and the deliverance from Babylon, but keep in mind that this is the Old Testament and the greatest deliverance in the story of God is still yet in front of this psalmist. He doesn't know it. Consider his hope. He is able to be this hopeful and yet he doesn't know the greatest reason for hope ever given to all mankind. If this Old Testament believer can hope and trust, then surely you and I can hope and trust as well because unlike this psalmist, you and I live on the other side of the cross and the empty tomb. We live on the other side of the greatest deliverance of God, which was the culmination of everything the Old Testament pointed to, from the garden to Egypt and the deliverance out of Babylon, every deliverance story is a foreshadowing of the greatest deliverance ever, namely the deliverance of God's own Son saving us from our sins and death. And we have this hope If there was reason for hope in the days of the Old Testament, if there was reason for hope in the days of Psalm 126, people of God, surely there is reason for hope today, isn't there? And if you need help with that, consider the words of the Lord Jesus to encourage you today from John 16. Jesus says, I tell you these things so that in me you will have peace. I tell you the truth that in this world you will have troubles. You will have trials. You will have pains. But Jesus says, take heart, for I have overcome the world. And the Lord Jesus, by virtue of his resurrection and his ascension, is king. And Psalm 126 is echoing this promise that everything that you do in faith and everything that you do pressing on in trust, it might be sowing with tears, but there's joy that's promised to you and you will reap a harvest in the age to come. You will reap a harvest when God accomplishes and fulfills his mighty plan for your life because he has a plan. He knows what he's doing. Though it may seem like you're in captivity, he has his purposes. And so let me say to you, please understand as I say it to myself, just as much. To those of you who are burdened, to those of you who are filled with sorrow and grief and frustration and sadness, who long for days of restored joy, God promises you that that joy will come. And he promises you that all the joy that you will have on that day when he fulfills his purposes for you will far outweigh all the weight of sorrow that you have carried in this fallen world. People of God, believe that. Mark it to your hearts. Underline it in your Bible. Do whatever you have to do to place it before your hearts and your eyes and walk in the knowledge and certainty that God's word promises to you and it will not be broken, that his covenant is sure and he will, for, he will finish the work that he's begun in your life through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, people of God, this is a beautiful psalm. There's hope for you and I today here in Psalm 126. Those of us who are perhaps discouraged, who find ourselves remembering as just a nostalgic memory the deliverance of God. Hope again that he will be ever your savior in your present need as well. Dear friend, press on. 
Press on in hope, for your hope is not in vain. Your trust in the Lord Jesus is not in vain. And so may this psalm seal that truth to your heart and help you press on in faith today. Amen. And now let us respond as we sing this psalm together to the tune of uh, Ode to Joy, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Let us sing the psalm together. When the Lord brought back to Zion captives from the exile land, we were like those who were dreaming, those restored to health again. Then our mouths were filled with laughter, tongues with songs of joy again. Then they said among the nations, God has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy and praise. Lord, restore our fortunes to us like streams in the desert place. Those who sow with tears and weeping will return with joyful song. Sowing seed will bring forth reaping sheaves that to the Lord belong. Let us pray. Oh, Father, how we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray that it would give us fresh encouragement as we look to the Lord Jesus, who ever lives and reigns and intercedes for us. Lord, help us to hope in his name. Lord, I pray especially this morning for those who feel weighed down. Lord, restore them and restore all of us and keep our hopes fixed upon you, teaching us that our hope is not in vain. Lord, bless the hearing and preaching of your word to our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.